everyone, it's Natasha Crane. I know it's been a while since I've had a new podcast episode. If you have been following my episodes for a while, you know I've mentioned a few times that I was in the process of writing my new book called Faithfully Different. So you probably guessed where I went when the podcast episodes were sort of disappearing after April. And that would be correct. I was having to put everything to the side so that I could just focus on finishing the book. But I got it into the publisher at the end of June, took a couple of weeks off, and now I'm getting back into producing content and I'm really excited to do so. I have so many ideas just springing off of the new book so I'm excited to be back and just want to let you know that if you're enjoying the podcast that I'm now going to be back to producing content on a regular basis. In today's show we're going to talk about the question are Christians the new extremists? And the answer is yes, and that's okay. If you want to get this in a blog post form, it is on my blog at Natasha Crane, that's C-R-A-I-N dot com. You can read it there, but I also know people a lot of times like my blog posts in audio format, so that's why I'm recording this audio version of it as well. Before I get to the content, though, I have to tell you what happened when I posted this new blog post on my author Facebook page today because I'm still in a little bit of shock about this. I, I shouldn't be but I am. I quickly saw that Facebook wasn't showing the post to very many people in my audience, which is very common. Facebook recognizes when you're posting a link to content on your own website and often dampens how many people they'll show it to because they know that you're probably very motivated to get people to go to your own website with something you're posting and that you'll be willing to pay to promote it. And so I'm used to this. I've accepted it. I've moved on from it. I pay to promote my posts when I put them out on Facebook so that more people will see them. But this is the first time ever in years of doing this that Facebook rejected my ad. And I really, it's really so funny and ironic because the nature of the blog post all about how Christians are seen as extremists today is just, it's being proven by the very fact that the ad was rejected. And here's what it says. Ad can't run. Your ad may have been rejected because it mentions politicians or is about sensitive social issues that could influence public opinion, how people vote, and may impact the outcome of an election or pending legislation. Our policy for running ads about social issues requires you to get authorized first by confirming your identity and creating a disclaimer that lists who is paying for the ads. So Facebook has concluded that I just might, with this post, influence public opinion. And they have rejected the ad. They will not let me promote this further than what they're allowing on Facebook. It's really kind of shocking. And a couple of people said, well, can't you just request that they verify your identity like it suggests? I actually have made that request in the past and they rejected it. So there's basically no way around this. I can't actually run an ad on Facebook for this particular post. So what you're going to hear today must be very shocking content that they don't want you to hear. So I hope you're just really excited about that. Okay, so without further ado, let's dive into the content. So the book I've been talking about that I have been writing, Faithfully Different, is about the fact that Christians with a biblical worldview are now a minority in America and how the secular worldview that surrounds us is putting significant pressure on what we believe, how we think, and how we live. And I wrote this to help Christians more clearly understand the fundamental differences between the secular and biblical worldviews, both for the strength of our own faith and for our ability to effectively be salt and light to others. I'm 
really excited about this book. I can't wait to share it with you. It comes out in February, and I'll be sharing pre-order details here in the next few weeks. Now, in hearing that, you might wonder if Christians really are a quote-unquote minority in America. I discuss this at length in my first chapter in the book, but here's the bottom line. About 65% of Americans self-identify as Christians. That's certainly not a minority. But when researchers ask questions about specific beliefs and behaviors, in other words, not just how people self-identify, they find that only about 10% at most of Americans have what would be considered a biblical worldview. In other words, when people are holding basic beliefs that are consistent with the historic Christian faith and exhibiting corresponding behaviors. Furthermore, researchers have found that not only are those with a biblical worldview now a small minority in America, they're a small minority within the church. Now, there are plenty of minority groups that people don't care much about. I'm sure there are only a handful of people, for example, who eat pickles every morning for breakfast and no one cares. But it's becoming clear to Christians with a biblical worldview that secular culture does care about our existence a lot because it hates all that we represent. In a very real sense, we're increasingly being seen as a small and extreme faction of society. If you read or watch anything in mainstream media that mentions conservative Christians, you'll immediately know from the tone that the term isn't being used as some kind of neutral descriptor. It's now a pejorative that comes with a knowing nod and an eye roll among the supposedly more enlightened culture. Now, note that I'm not necessarily talking about conservative here in a political sense. In secular usage, conservative is a blanket label to reference Christians who disagree with mainstream secular views. There's often a correlation with politics but it's not exclusive to that. The implication is that we're those people, the holdouts who won't get on board with where the rest of society wants to go. We're seen as an impediment to culturally defined progress because of how different our views are relative to today's mainstream secularism. The result is that secularists now see us with varying degrees of indignation. As strange as it sounds to many Christians, we're the new extremists, a minority group whose views are seen as, one, fundamentally different from the average view of secular culture, and two, concerning to the rest of society. When you sense that this is how culture sees us, it can seem pretty bizarre. After all, Christianity has been the dominant religious influence in America for the last 400 years, but now it's extreme and concerning to believe that the Bible is God's word? While there's no reason to agree with secularists that our views are concerning, there are many reasons to agree that our worldview is extremely different relative to the dominant secular worldview culture now holds. We're certainly extremists in that sense, and we should gladly embrace that fact if we fully understand the nature of a biblical worldview. More specifically, we're extreme in three major ways. Number one, we're extreme in our source of authority. If you have been listening to some of my past episodes, I've talked about this a bit there, but this is such a critical issue. You're going to hear me continue to talk about it. It's something that I hit home on repeatedly in the new book, and it's so critical for us to understand. The most foundational difference between those with a biblical worldview and those with a secular one is our source of authority. Every person, as part of their worldview, has an ultimate authority for what they believe to be true about the world and how they should function within it. 
For Christians with a biblical worldview, that source of authority is God, and we believe that he's revealed those truths in the Bible. In secularism, a person's source of authority is the self. Secularism is not what you get when you simply subtract so-called religious beliefs from a person's worldview. When you take away the authority of God, you aren't left with no authority. You're left with the authority of you. This difference in authority is at the root of almost every difference between a secular and biblical worldview. When the vast majority of people's authority for truth is themselves, it shouldn't be surprising that Christians are going to come to some very different conclusions about the nature of reality than the surrounding culture. Even uttering the words, the Bible says, with the assumption that what follows is objective truth that supersedes personal opinion, is extreme relative to today's average view that the individual reigns supreme. And for those who assume the Bible is merely a written record of man's thoughts about God and nothing more, such extremity is concerning. How can Christians be compelled to follow new societal directions if they don't view truth as something subject to change? With fellow secularists whose feelings determine truth, society can quote-unquote progress through the push and pull of changing popular consensus. But Christians who believe they have an unchanging authority for all time? That's an infuriating barrier that secularists resent. Number two, we're extreme in our understanding of morality. It follows from the first point that Christians with a biblical worldview are going to be at great odds with secularists in matters of morality. For those whose authority is God and who believe he's revealed himself and his will in the Bible, what the Bible says is right or wrong is going to be the final word, regardless of what we think, regardless of what any other individual thinks, and regardless of what society thinks. From a secular perspective, what a stubborn view that is. When your authority is yourself, there's no objective basis for defining morality for all people. In essence, each person is their own God. What's right or wrong isn't a matter of what someone else has said, God or not. It's a matter of what you've said. That's the secular view. But wait, wouldn't that mean that secularists should accept the Christian view of morality as just one more valid view if that's the case? Absolutely. But they don't. And this is where secularists fail to live consistently within their own worldview rooted in the authority of the self. If they were consistent, here's what they'd say. Hey, we understand that your Christian view is just as valid as anyone else's since every individual is their own authority and there's no objective basis for claiming that anything is right or wrong for all people. But a bunch of us have fill-in-the-blank view on fill-in-the-blank issue and we want to try to convince you to change your opinion. Yet even if you don't change your mind, that's all right since everyone's view is equally valid anyway. Have a great day. I'm guessing that's not what you're hearing in culture. Instead, here's what the secularists are saying. The fill-in-the-blank view on fill-in-the-blank issue is the objectively right view for all people, and if you disagree, you're wrong and you're evil. Without an objective basis for morality, from a higher-than-human moral lawgiver, the closest thing secularists can have as a moral standard that applies to all people is the popular consensus. That's why it's so important for secular culture to continually push their views of morality through every conceivable channel, education, media, entertainment, business, and more. The more people get on board with any given view of morality, the more the popular consensus is achieved, and the more secularists have a new supposed standard for what is right. 
But once again, Christians with a biblical worldview aren't subject to that shift. No matter how prevalent any new idea of morality is, if it conflicts with what Christians believe God himself has said, the popular consensus won't become our new standard. And that quote-unquote extreme viewpoint relative to average culture is mind-numbingly frustrating to non-believers. And number three, we're extreme in believing that judgment can be objectively valid. This point follows from both of the prior points. Because Christians look to God and his word as a source of authority for our lives, and because views of morality are an outworking of those beliefs, Christians believe that judgment on matters of truth can be objectively valid, not just a matter of opinion. In Faithfully Different, I describe the tenets of a secular worldview this way. Feelings are the ultimate guide, happiness is the ultimate goal, judging is the ultimate sin, and God is the ultimate guess. Now, judging is the greatest sin in secularism because when feelings are your guide and happiness is your goal, no one has the ability or right to tell you what only you can know, how you feel and what makes you happiest. From the worldview perspective that the authority is the self, it's absurd and insulting for someone else to come along, look at a person's life journey and claim to know better than they do how they should or shouldn't be living. But that assumes there's no God who has provided a reliable and authoritative source for that information. From a biblical worldview perspective, God has provided that in the Bible. And if the God of the universe has told us what's true about reality, it's not absurd or insulting to share what he said. It's literally the only reasonable thing to do, given that the God who created everything would assuredly know more than any human. Jesus never said that the world would understand us. To a large degree, secular culture's views here are to be expected. What concerns me far more is when Christians don't understand how extremely different a biblical worldview should be from a secular one. In many ways, the secularists who think those with a biblical worldview are extreme relative to average society understand this more than self-professed Christians who see only marginal differences. When we truly have a biblical worldview, we should understand that we really are extremists in today's culture and embrace it. Not only is it okay to be extreme in this way, it is a beautiful thing because it's what God himself calls us to. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I'll be back soon, I promise, with a new podcast episode. And if you could share this with your friends, people that you think would benefit from this kind of content, I would really appreciate it. I'm just getting this podcast going, and that would mean a lot to me. And also, if you can leave a rating on Apple Podcasts and or a review, that would be great. Thank you so much for listening today, and I will talk with you soon. Bye-bye.